I'm going to ask you to join your hearts with me in prayer today. I'm going to read uh, and uh, make use of the prayer that I did last time I was here. I hope that's okay with you, but I love this prayer, and the words are so beautiful. I just want us to pray it again. This is from Teresa of Avila. So after I, I uh, introduce our prayer, we'll, we'll use these words to, to guide our hearts. Please uh, just pause with me now and prepare to pray. God, who sets bushes aflame, yet they are not consumed, would you set our hearts aflame this morning with love for you and love for each other? O oh God, who speaks out of the air and arrests our attention, would you speak this morning and grip our hearts and minds? And for those of us who have come distracted or misled or with callous hearts, would you incite a flame of fire? And would you speak with a startling power that brings us to our knees and that leads us to repent of our sins and to turn our full attention to you? And as we read these words and pray these words, of a woman who knew you so well, would you open our hearts to make this our prayer truly today? May you be blessed forever, Lord, for not abandoning me when I abandoned you. May you be blessed forever, Lord, for offering your hand of love in my darkest, most lonely moment. You've done it, Lord. May you be blessed forever, Lord, for loving me more than I love myself. May you be blessed forever, Lord, for continuing to pour out your blessings upon me, even though I respond so poorly. Mm. 
May you be blessed forever, Lord, for drawing out the goodness in all people, including me. May you be blessed forever, Lord, for repaying our sin with your love. May you be blessed forever, Lord, for being constant and unchanging amidst all the changes of the world. May you be blessed forever, Lord, for your countless blessings on me and on all your creatures. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3, and we're going to look at chapter 3 and uh, uh, chapter 4 this morning. I'm really excited about the uh, Exodus study. Um, it's something I've wanted to do for a long time. Uh, I have uh, read and studied Exodus for uh, many years. And one of the beautiful things about it is that you cannot go through the book of Exodus without coming to know God and without coming to meet Jesus. You're going to see Jesus all the way through Exodus. Almost at every turn, every story, every event that took, that took place, uh, you're going to be reminded of something in the life of Jesus. Just like last week. Whenever Moses was put in a basket, a decree had been made that all the male children are to be killed, and Moses was put in a basket to save his life. You couldn't help but think about the days after Jesus was born, when King Herod sent out a decree that they would kill all the male children two years of age and under. And time and time again, as we go through the book of Exodus, you're going to see Jesus. So much so, in fact, that uh, many Bible scholars refer to the story of Jesus, the gospel, as the second Exodus. And the reason why is simply because all that you see for, uh, happen in, in a literal way in the historical narrative that's found in Exodus you see a spiritual fulfillment of it through the gospel. And so Exodus, the word Exodus simply means uh, exit, get out of there, leave. That's what the word means. In the book of Genesis, it was a book of origins. And so what we found in the book of Genesis is God creating all things, everything coming into existence. But we also find that sin comes into existence. Sin enters into the world. And then we see the spread of sin throughout the book of Genesis. And then we 
end the book of Genesis with the whole story of Joseph and Jacob and his sons moving into Egypt because of the famine in the land. And so now they stay for 400 years in Egypt and they become slaves and they cry out to God. It seems as if God has abandoned them. He's forsaken them. He's forgotten all about them. They cry out to God and finally God appears to Moses to send them a deliverer. So the book of Exodus is about what God does about sin. We're introduced to sin in the book of Genesis, but now we see what God's going to do about it. And in the process, we can't understand what God is going to do unless we can appreciate who God is. And so the book of Exodus is about knowing God. In fact, remember when God first brings up the idea of plagues on Egypt and how he's going to be dealing with Pharaoh, you remember that God said, by all of this, he will know me. He will know who I am. Well, why is that significant? Well, because as we read through the story, remember part of Moses' calling was that he's to do two things. He's to, to go to the people of Israel, and then he's to go to Pharaoh. Well, when he went to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's response is, who is God? You know, in Pharaoh's mind, Pharaoh was God. Really? They, he, he believed he was God. Everybody did everything he told them to do. He made all the rules. He controlled his world. He was God. And some old man, some 80-year-old man is bothering me, has come to my door, and he has asked to meet with me, and here I am giving my time, the most powerful man in the world, to this old guy, and he's telling me this cockamamie story that God has sent him to come here and tell me what to do. Tell me to let the people of Israel go. <laughs> what a joke. How ridiculous, how absurd is that? What kind of a crazy man are you? And what kind of a crazy story? Who is God? Well, he found out. Man, did he ever more find out who God is. In fact, there were ten times where God says the exact same thing. By this he will know that I am God. And then there are ten more times in the book of Exodus, where the idea, not the exact words, but the same message is sent. So 20 times throughout the book of Exodus, God says pretty plainly, I'm going to show you who I am. You're going to know that I am God. So, this is the story of Israel and it's a story of a reversal. They were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. They're in exile. 
they move, they transition, they are transformed from slaves to free men. And this is very much a resurrection from death to life. This morning in the class, I posed the question, if you had been slaves for 400 years, uh, how do you think the attitude of the slaves would have been? And Josh Rowell said, well, they would, it would have been hopeless. A hopeless situation. They would live with no hope. There's no end in sight. There's no way out. God has abandoned us. God has forsaken us. What can we do? We can do nothing. And so, in a manner of speaking, they were dead. But they're going to have a new life. And that's what the story of Exodus is all about. It anticipates or prepares us for the death and the resurrection of Christ and even our own death and resurrection. That's our story. That's the story of Israel that is projected into the future onto us, the kingdom of God. It is a story of deliverance. It is a story of salvation. It is a story of transformation and new life. And what is the means of deliverance? How does this deliverance take place? There's only one way transformation like this can take place. There's only one power that brings the dead to life again. And that is the very power and life and energy of God himself. So, God is the means of deliverance. And what's the purpose of it? So that God is revealed. So that we know who God is. So, Moses is out. He's a shepherd. He's been here in the land of Midian for 40 years. He's 80 years old. For the first 40 years of his life, he lived like hardly no one else in the world lived. Only a handful of people would have lived in the king's court with access to everything that royalty had access to. Education, wealth, fame, fortune, you name it, Moses had it. He had it all. He had everything. And then in the blink of an eye, it was all gone, and he's a fugitive on the run in the wilderness. And for 40 years, he's in the wilderness. You know, you would have thought God would have called him when he was 40 years old, right? He's in the prime of life. Every, he's a powerful man. What a great leader. What a great warrior. What an amazing leader for the people of God. That's not when God called Moses. We need to learn a lesson here, folks. God doesn't see things the way we see things. God doesn't work the way we work. And he makes this very clear to Moses. And this is something we learn about God. Our God is a God of surprises. He really is. It's like somebody said one time, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. God's full of surprises. And don't you think Moses was surprised when he's out there tending the sheep and he sees a bush on fire? He had seen bushes on fire before, I'm sure. But there's something really weird about this one. The fire was not consuming the bush. You see, the way that the laws of nature work, 
This fire is energy, and in order for this energy to be produced, it consumes the fuel that feeds it. Well, the fuel, the bush, the wood was not being consumed, but yet the energy was there. Whoa, what is this? What's going on here? And then furthermore, a voice comes out of the bush calling him by name, Moses, Moses. And the Bible says it's the angel of the Lord. Now, without going into all of this, the angel of the Lord equals God, okay? However you want to look at it, a theophany, a messenger, the voice of God, whatever, we could go through all the scriptures in the Bible about what the angel of the Lord is and who he is and what he does and all that. Essentially, if you look at verse 2, he's the angel of the Lord. If you look at verse 4, he's called God, okay? So there you have it. Moses hid his face. Now, this is going to tell us something about this great transformation that we're going to see. Because in chapter 33, verse 11, Moses is talking to God face to face. So I want you to see the difference. I want you to see the transformation in the beginning when God calls Moses. Moses doesn't even know who God is, really. In fact, in just a moment, we're going to see he asks, what's your name anyway? He didn't even know who he's talking to, really. He maybe has some kind of an idea. He maybe has some faint memory. Maybe there's something there. But he knows he's watching and seeing a miracle. He knows that. And so that's got his attention. And so he hides his face because I think it becomes apparent to him who he might be talking to or who might be talking to him. And what do you know about God, if anything? Well, if you see God, you're dead. So he hid his face. He was afraid. And yet, 33 chapters later, he talks to God face to face. What a transformation. Life without God and life with God. And that's the meaning of life. The meaning of life is for us to have fellowship with the source of life, with God. That's what Exodus is about. Exodus is about us knowing God and living life with God. So Pharaoh says, who's God? I am. That's what he said. In the burning bush, Moses asked the same question. Who are you? What's your name? Pharaoh wants to know the same thing later. So what do we learn in all of this? The angel of the Lord tells Moses, I am. I am that I am. He repeats it. What in the world does that mean? Well, I spent a considerable amount of time studying the word Yahweh, the etymology of the word, where the word comes from, how the word came to us, what does the word mean. I'm just going to sum it up for you, okay? If you want to study it further, if you want to walk down that path with me, I'll be more than happy to show you, okay? Nobody knows what it means. 
and nobody knows where it came from. Really. Nobody even knows how to pronounce it. And I'm telling you the truth. And there's tons of evidence to support that. So, in Judges chapter 13, verse 18, the father of Samson, Manoah, asked the angel of the Lord the same question. What is your name? And he answered, depending on the translation that you're reading, it is too wonderful, or it is too incredible, or it is incomprehensible. So I looked up the word and, and, and saw how the word is used, and that's what it means. It's too big. It's too great. It's too wonderful. It's too incredible. There's no way. Well, why would he answer that? Why would God answer that when he got asked, what's your name? If I go up to Cole here and say, what's your name? He's going to say, Cole. You see, names to us just simply designate people. Oh, there's Bruce over there. Oh, there's, there's, he's sitting by Tanya, and Tanya's sitting by Juanita. There's Gary and Bonnie. You see, when I call these names... Certain people come to your mind. It just designates a person. Wasn't that way in the ancient East? A name meant much more than just simply a designation. A name had everything to do with who you are, what kind of person you are, your character. That's what names meant. That's why sometimes in Scripture God changed people's names because names meant a whole lot more back then than they do to us today in most cases. So when God says, when, he, when he's asked his name and the angel of the Lord says, it's too big, it's too great, it's too wonderful. In other words, he's saying, God is too big. God is so great. God is so wonderful. God is so incredible. How can I explain God to you? God is everything you could imagine and that much more. And why is that important in this particular context where God is calling Moses? The reason it is so incredibly important in this context is because what we're about to see is God is going to show the most powerful nation and the most powerful man in the world who he is. And he is too great for Pharaoh. He is too great for Egypt. He is too wonderful. He is too mighty. He is too awesome for earthly kings and earthly nations. He is the creator. He is the almighty God. And that's what Yahweh means. That's what it means. So don't get caught up today in using that word because a lot of people are misled really into thinking that somehow I'm more righteous or more holy or I've got it correct if I call God Yahweh 
The truth is, the Hebrew language was written without any vowels, okay? No vowels at all. So over the evolution of time and centuries, because of some people that you may or may have never heard about, the Masorites, they were afraid that something critical was being lost. What was written down would be lost, and so they tried to write it down to make, and they added vowels to it. How did they know which vowels to add to it? They didn't. It's a guessing game. They, they just, and they pronounce it in different ways, and there are people today that give all kinds of definitions as to what it means, what it doesn't mean. But it came about over many, many years, and the fact is nobody knows how to say it. Nobody even knows what it means. But contextually, and from Judges 13, verse 18, we do get the idea that it means something like it's way too big for you to understand. Because that's who God is. That's who he is. Is there any certain name we're supposed to call God? Well, Isaiah 9, verse 6 says his name is, and then wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, on and on and on. Pick one, okay? He is Lord. He is almighty. He is God. The first word you find in the Bible to, to tell you who he is is Elohim. The most common word was Adonai. And you don't have to say a different language. You don't have to say it in a different language. If I'm in Mexico and I meet Juan, I'm going to call him Juan. If he's over here in the United States, I might call him John. What's the difference? There is no difference. It's a different language. We don't have to speak Hebrew. We don't have to speak Greek. Well, what about Aramaic? Scholars say Jesus spoke Aramaic. Do we have to speak in Aramaic? Do we have to say Yeshua? No, let's just call him Jesus. Okay? People get caught up in things like this. And the Bible doesn't teach these things. And so let's not worry about it. Let's focus on who God is. Now, let's talk a little bit about Moses being called. So God calls Moses. Can you imagine what Moses thought? This 80-year-old shepherd, he's a nobody now, really. Oh, he was somebody 40 years ago. He's a nobody now. And so God tells him what he wants him to do. And his first reaction, well, if, if I go to Israel, if, if I go back to Egypt, and I go to the, the elders of the nation, they're not going to listen to me. Who am I? They're not going to pay me any attention. They don't know me. I hadn't been there for 40 years. They don't even know who I am. They're not going to listen to me. 
And what am I supposed to tell them? Who are you anyway? What am I supposed to tell them? They're not going to believe that. Even if I do tell them, they're not going to believe it. And besides all that, I'm a terrible speaker. I, I can't, I can't, I just can't get, you know, what's in my head out of my mouth. I can't say it the right way. It's not going to work. It's just not going to work, God. I can't do this. Folks, isn't that exactly how we are a lot of times when God calls us to do something? You know, one of the amazing things about God, God comes to man through incarnation. God comes to man through a man, through Jesus. And God decided that he would carry on his work in his kingdom with and through people. We actually partner with God in kingdom work. God uses people to accomplish his purposes. And so it's very important that we understand what God was teaching Moses. And God is so shrewd and so amazing you know, he gets to a point, he says, Moses, throw, the, throw your staff down. It turns into a snake. Whoa! The Bible says Moses ran. And then he said, pick it up by the tail. <laughs> you pick it up by the tail. But he did. He's God. Okay, you're God. So he picks it up by the tail, becomes a staff again. Well, what's the big deal about that? I'll tell you what the big deal about that is. Did you know in many of the statues and pictures and everything of Pharaoh, Pharaoh is seen with a staff in his hand and a snake around his head. Yeah. You know what the Egyptian snake charmers were famous for? Somehow or another, they knew how to charm a snake to sort of It'd be straight and paralyzed, and they'd hold that thing up like a stick, and then they'd throw it down, and of course that would wake it out of its paralysis, and it would crawl off. So what did God do? Did God take a live snake and make it look like a stick and throw it down? No, God took a literal stick, and it became a snake, and then he turned it back into a stick again. What's Moses going to learn here? Whoo, it don't matter who I am. It matters who God is. Look what he can do. This isn't about me. This isn't about Moses. It doesn't matter if I'm 80 years old. It doesn't matter if I'm a shepherd. It doesn't matter if I'm the wrong guy for the job. It doesn't matter if I have a better idea. Somebody else would do better than me. Boy, they'd do better than I would. Who cares? Because when God calls you, he equips you. And more importantly, what he told Moses finally is don't worry about it, Moses. I will give you what to say. I will put the words in your mouth. I will be with you. And you think that didn't make an impression on Moses? You remember later on, in the story you're going to see in Exodus when God gets upset at Israel and he tells Moses, you take these people and you go on this wilderness journey. I'm not going with you. You remember what Moses said? Moses said, if you're not going, I'm not going. 
Because Moses knew there's absolutely no way we're going to make it in the wilderness without God. He knew he needed God with him. And that's what you need to know and that's what I need to know. This morning, what has God called you to do? What is God calling you to do? How is God calling your name? How is God putting things in your head that just won't go away? And then you receive confirmation and then confirmation. What do you do with that? Oh, I can't. I, I, well, what if, what if this, what if that? Luke would be better than I would. Daniel, would, Daniel can do that much better. I, Steve's, Steve's he, he's way more gifted than me. And we go on and on with that kind of negative thinking and we block God out and we quit listening to him and we don't do the things that God calls us to do. Because we have failed to appreciate and accept it doesn't matter who we are. If God calls you, and you'll say, well, how do I know? How do I know God's calling me? All I can tell you, I don't have all the answers, but I can tell you this. You will know for sure. He'll make sure you know. And when God calls you to do something in his kingdom, when he calls you to do something, it's going to be in conjunction with his word with his will it's in the framework of God's will and when God calls you to do something he will empower you to do it he will walk with you to do it now sometimes it may not look so good and he warned Moses of that he said I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart his heart's going to be hardened and people get hung up on that Did you know half the time where the scripture mentions about Pharaoh's heart being hardened, exactly half the time it says God will harden it, and half the other half it says Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Be careful you don't put it all off on God. Okay? I'm just saying. Be careful you don't go down the wrong path here because a lot of people do. Just like God's name, I wish I could and one day I will, but I cannot explain to you how all of this works. I can tell you, I can tell you that God works and I can tell you that God allows free will. And how all of that is mixed and mingled and comes out, I'm not the right guy. You're going to have to get somebody way smarter than me to tell you how all that works. I just know that's what the scripture says. So, today, when you look when you listen, do you see God? Can you see God in the fire?
You know, sometimes we're so oblivious to the spirit realm, we don't see God anywhere. That's why in some of our small groups, we periodically ask the question, where did you see God this week? We don't do that because we don't have anything else to talk about. We do that with a purpose. We do that with the intent because we want to keep planting that seed in your mind. We want you to become aware of the fact that God is present and active in our lives. But if we're not used to looking for it, if we're not used to seeing it, we're probably not going to see much of God. I might have walked by that bush today and not even seen it burning. I might have walked by that and seen it burning and thought, well, I've seen a lot of bushes burning and walked right on by and didn't realize it wasn't consuming the bush. I might not have stopped long enough for him to call my name. I don't know. But Moses did, and we need to. And when he calls, we need to answer, whatever you say, Lord, I'm ready. And one last thing, whenever God calls you, whenever God calls you, it's got to be done his way. Moses couldn't take it upon himself to go to Pharaoh and do just whatever he decided he wanted to do. Anytime somebody starts acting out on their own. Anytime we act away from or apart from what God is telling us to do, we need to put the brakes on. We need to tap the brakes. And we need to realize God is the one in control. God's the one calling. God's the one empowering. God's the one that's going to go with me but he's only going to go where he wants to go, okay? Otherwise, you're going to find yourself by yourself, and that's not a good place to be. So this morning, look for God in the fire. Look for God in your everyday life. Listen carefully. Pay attention when God calls your name. And realize that if God calls you, God will empower you, he will go with you, and his will will be done even with me, even with you. Praise team, come on up. As you do, I'm going to say a short prayer. Our Father, we are very, very grateful for your word and the power of your word. We're grateful for all that we can learn about you, and we pray that we will study, and in these series of studies that we will be open to whatever your word tells us, that we will allow you to reveal yourself to us so we will understand you more clearly. We understand through this passage that you 
are sensitive, you are compassionate to our situation. You love us deeply, and you will deliver us. Whatever it is that has us enslaved, you have sent the strong deliverer and mighty Savior, Jesus. And through him, through his shed blood, through his sacrifice on the cross, we are free from sin. We are free from what enslaved us. Thank you, God, that we are free. In Jesus' name, amen.